Hello, everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joe Bouchard, a graduate student in education. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, professor of English and philosophy, as well as our first ever special guest on the show, Mr. Ian Gayford, who is an educator like his father and a villain enthusiast. <laughs> Last week, we had a detailed discussion about what constitutes a hero. It'd be easy to, to dismiss villains as the mere antithesis of heroes, but this doesn't do them justice. No pun intended. The philosophical examination of villains doesn't yield inverse answers to the same questions we asked with heroes. Villains come with their own idiosyncratic questions, leading us to not only draw contrasts and parallels, but to try and understand them in their own context. All right, Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, so I mentioned wanting to do villains uh, to Norm first, and he said, yes. yeah, that'd be cool, but can, can we do heroes first? Because I think Ian would really want to discuss villains <laughs> with us. So what, uh, what is it about villains that, you, that you're drawn to? Um, I think that villains are some of my earliest memories of anything pop cultural. And I'm not exactly sure what the genesis point of that is, but the very first villain that I remember really enjoying is, I don't remember how old I was, but um, mom and dad sat down and, and we watched uh, an old Disney film called The uh, Black Cauldron. And it was an animated film from the, I believe it was the early 80s, um, if I'm not mistaken. And there was, it was based on a series of young adult books. And there was the villain of the piece was named the Horned King. And I was always kind of drawn to different kinds of music, especially soundtracks, because that's kind of what dad would play in the car when we were driving anywhere. So that, again, that's some of my earliest musical memories. And the Horn King had this wonderfully dramatic entrance point in the film. And he had this very, very stately, evil minor key theme. And I went, Oh, that's cool. And he had, and John Hurt was the voice actor and he gave this really eerie, creepy performance. The Horn King is a zombie like person. And I just thought, wow, this is cool. And he's way more interesting than the little, you know, the young kid who was basically the hero, the protagonist of the story. So from that point on, I just kind of always gravitated towards the villains. Um, Another one of those early points of memory for me was the first time I saw Star Wars and the first time I saw Darth Vader whip out his red lightsaber. And then I learned that all the villains had the red lightsaber and I went, oh, I want the red lightsaber. The red lightsaber is cool. So I guess I just found them more interesting. And to be honest, that has continued and I still really find villains a little bit more interesting than the uh, nominal heroes of stories for the most part, especially in pop culture. Yeah, it's um, villains. They're definitely interesting, and in a way that um, is in stark contrast to the heroes. You know, you're you're a music teacher, um, yes. and I play some music, and it's the kind of thing where yeah, a lot of pop music is um, you know focused on major keys and that sort of thing. And so you hear a minor key, you know, you hear a, the Imperial March or or something like that. You go, yes. oh, this is yes. way different, especially as a small child. You know? Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, there's a, you know everything about villains. Um, from you know pop cultural elements, their soundtracks, their appearances, their their demeanors. Um, it, it, it all is is um, is pretty interesting stuff. Um, so at the end of our last show with heroes, I asked Norm um, to give me some of his favorite heroes. So I'm going to do the same thing here. I'm, I'm not going to spring it on you. So I'll I'll, I'll ask you the questions <laughs> now, and then at the end of the episode, I want to hear you guys answer. But okay, I'm going to okay, ask you, okay, who is your favorite good villain and bad villain. Now, what I mean by that is who is the villain that you love to hate and who is the villain that you hate to love? So be thinking about that. And then at the end, then at the end of the episode, I'll circle back to it and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll uh, see who we have. Very good. So let's start out with, with the essence. What, what is a villain? Okay. Uh, can we do with the etymology and, uh, because I think that this is really interesting. Um, yeah. So, so villain uh, comes from uh, medieval Latin, villainous, and essentially it's it's associated with older Latin with the inhabitant of a villa. So <clears throat> it's very it's 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 associated with a large uh, country dwelling. 
it's associated with with the land and then of course in in medieval times people who had large country dwellings were people who generally lorded it over others and and so it began to accrue that that uh, power of association but it basically means villager uh, uh, often the words associated with it are rustic rustic and scoundrel and um uh, a peasant and farmer and so it is a crude massive barnacles of emotive association over the centuries right and so what that kind of tells us just based on, on the language alone is that the concept of a villain has sort of been with us for a long time right and it's yeah, kind of yes. morphed and changed as time mm -hmm. has gone on um so if you were to give us a more, the etymology is great, and that that shows us that like okay, well the origin of the word is 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 interesting in itself. How would you describe a, a villain as as we modern modernly conceive of it? Can you want to go with that first? Um, sure. So I think that people tend to have this conception of the villain as basically someone who is evil someone who is placed in the world of uh, of a story or the world of characters in order to give them a hard time or you know a lot of times now in pop culture the villain has a plan so they have a plan to do something and it's usually something bad um and so it's they really are defined by their opposition to the protagonist or the hero um and we could talk about this. I think we'll talk about it later, but I think it's interesting when villains sort of depart from that formula too. Um, but I think that usually, usually we now we conceive of them as somebody who's just kind of like this evil person who is in opposition to whatever our heroes are doing. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good start. Norm, do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, yeah. If you're talking about our current context and the, and, and and what Ian said uh, makes the foundation for that. Uh, what's what's interesting is that we have, I think now, uh, an awareness of villains, and and mine mine has grown over the decades too because I used to, I used to eschew the idea of of liking the villains, which was absolutely ridiculous. I was turning this moralistic dad. Um, <laughs> But, and and I and I look back at it and say what what was I doing because I knew better. But anyway, villains are our theater teaches us. Uh, villains don't always think of themselves as villains. They as Ian they have a plan. They they have something they want to do. They're responding to something. They want to change the way the world is, whatever the world means, whatever layer of world we're talking about. Uh, but they don't necessarily think that what they're doing is wrong. They they often realize that it's in contrast to standard operating procedures and moral norms and such. But um, I, so so the villain who's just bad for the sake of being bad um, is not always uniformly with us the way it may have been in my youth. So much so that it's interesting that, that the Vatican, uh, with the Star Wars films, <laughs> was having real trouble with Kylo Ren. I, I was reading about this 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 week. I hadn't re I hadn't realized this uh, because um, they don't think that the, the elements in the Vatican did not think that evil was pronounced enough in the later Star Wars films. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that either. So, let's ask this question. We, you and I talked about heroes last week. Okay. Um, are heroes and villains separated by more than perspective or narrative? I think that that in a traditional sense, um, the heroes have often been the supporters of the status quo 
and, you know, truth, justice in the American way was Superman in the 50s, and then truth, justice in the human way is what it ended up being in the movies, and and that's a great big shift. <laughs> but it's still, okay, we, we, we that implies that we know what justice is, that implies that we know what truth is, and, and by the thunder, we just know exactly what's supposed to be right. <laughs> um, and I, and I don't, I don't think that, that there's this absolute antithesis uh, with villains because I don't think that, I mean, if, if you define villainy as just opposing the status quo, then any of us who, who take a stand about social justice issues in whatever small ways we, we, we might, would be considered villains. And of course, there are people who would say that, that we are. Anyway, Ian, you want to add anything to that? <laughs> yeah, well, I was interested because I think sometimes the, the the reverse is true as well. So if you again, if we go back to Star Wars, the Empire in the original trilogy is the status quo, right? And so the rebels, that you know, the the, uh, the new Jedi represented by Luke Skywalker, um, and you know, and Leia, um, they're they're fighting against that status quo. And so you have the, the reverse image as well. Or if you take um, Oh, I, I just left my head. But if you like a film like Willow, okay, so from 19, 1980 and nineteen eighty nine, you've got this evil again, sort of very similar to Star Wars in some respects. You've got this evil kingdom led by an evil queen, um, kind of like the emperor figure in Star Wars, and you've got small people trying to, you know, um, small and not not in terms of well, a little bit in terms of stature, but also in terms of you know, they're not these institutional forces, but they're, they're, you know, banding together to fight against a larger, um, you know, villainous quote unquote force. So I think it goes both ways. Um, in terms of it being separate, in terms of the things being separated by other things, other than perspective, I guess that depends on your conception of ethics because, you know, if you believe that there is if your worldview is that there is something that is ethical, you know, capital E ethical, and this is always, you know, the right thing to do, then yeah, I'd say that, you know, a lot of times villains cross over that ethical line. And so that would separate them from heroes as well. Maybe they're more willing to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, heroes also cross boundaries and they do, you know, we consider James Bond a hero figure, sort of, I guess maybe an anti-hero, but he crosses boundaries all the time in order to do the quote-unquote right thing. So I, I do think that there's many times a separation other than just perspective, but I think that as we get further and further along the road of movies and TV shows, I think that line gets blurred more and more often because it's more interesting when that line is blurred. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read you a definition here. Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Definition of a villain. Number one, a character in a story or play who opposes a hero. Yeah. So right there, that pretty much says perspective and narrative is is all that matters uh, based off of the number one definition yeah. because you know there's no nothing about ethics in there number two a deliberate scoundrel or criminal number three one blamed for a particular evil or difficulty mm. based on those three definitions <laughs> is robin hood a hero or a villain oh my <laughs> well that's interesting because I'm thinking. I'm thinking back to you know, right back to the roots of West Western philosophy. Socrates says that uh, no one deliberately acts in an immoral way. Right, so, 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 so now there are there have been endless and and necessary counters and arguments about that whole debate. But if we take that, and, and Socrates says that that that. Uh, those who commit immoral actions aren't bad. Uh, they, they just lack knowledge of what is good and right. Uh, well, Robin Hood was, we, we probably argue in our, in our Western training, uh, moral. He was acting, he was defying the law, but the law itself was established by an immoral being. <laughs> and, and so he was acting under what he had a duty to do, not necessarily what the standard law of the moment 
said was right. Right. So that comes that comes back to what we were just saying about how ethics ethics is really kind of the determining factor. Because I mean, like James Bond is a good example, right? If you could, or any anti-hero, really, if you're thinking about an anti-hero or an anti-villain, um, then really perspective and perspective and narrative is is what what plays into it. Um, yeah. But ethics, you know, it, ethics is a part of it. And this is kind of what what Norm and I were talking about last week is what's more important, um, right? The intentions or what gets accomplished in the end. So a great example of that is Watchmen, right? So in Watchmen, you have this whole setup about going around and finding if somebody is trying to basically set up a nuclear war, right? And there's this, these tensions between Ru- the, you know Russia and the United States in this alternate timeline that have just ex- you know um, gotten so out of control. And then you have the nominal villain Ozymandias, who has set up masterminded all these things in order to basically use one of the nominal heroes, Dr. Manhattan to destroy uh, the city, destroy New York city in order to avert a nuclear catastrophe. So yes, he kills millions of people, which we would consider that probably to be a villainous act, but he also staves off a nuclear war that would, you know, kill countless million, countless billions probably. And so the the uh, one of the other heroes in the story or anti heroes Rorschach can't deal with that ethical conundrum, uh, and the other nominal heroes of the story say no. This actually, you know, we despise how this came about, but this was the right thing to have happened, and we're not going to try to stop it. So I think that that goes right to the heart of what you're what you're saying in terms of perspective and ethics and what debating about what the right thing to do and when media when culture when pop culture gives us that dilemma it's interesting how audiences respond to it as well it is it is but and and you say that the watchman is a wonderful example and and then we're not talking about the watchman tv series i haven't seen that right but, right but but the graphic novel Yes. Which was then turned into the movie. Yes. Uh, uh, it still brings me back to uh, Kant uh, that you can't when you t- when you take an act when you do an action that you, that you know has uh, significant deleterious consequences when you do, do an action knowing that it is violating fundamental. Uh, it's not doing good things. You, know, you can, you know, Ozymandias says he's essentially he's doing a bad thing in order for good consequences. The Kant the, um, the uh, ethical philosopher, ethical people cannot do those things knowingly and still think that they have done something right. And and then, but we also have the the idea of not clear thinking that's woven into that. And then that carries up through to back to our Star Wars thing. When, when uh, acting aside, when young Anakin is confronting Obi-Wan and says, from his point of view, the Jedi are evil, he's, he's, he's being highly emotional. He's, he's rejecting part of the tenets of the, of the Jedi themselves. He said, he said he's, he's not thinking clearly. Um, it could be argued Ozymandias was not thinking clearly either. So, why do you think it is that um, villains tend to be more powerful than heroes? And what I mean by this is, when you look at a lot of stories that we um, enjoy, in many cases, there's one powerful villain and there's teams of heroes that need to defeat him, right? In Star Wars, you have... You have Vader, and I mean, you have Palpatine, too, who plays a smaller role, but you have Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, Obi-Wan, you know. All right, Vader has a bunch of underlings. You know, there's millions of stormtroopers, but we know that they're, <laughs> they're, they're you can kind of brush them aside. But when it comes down to it, there's a lot of stories, Thanos and the Avengers, right? It seems like villains tend to be, on their own, more powerful than any individual protagonist. Why do you think that that is the way that we tell stories? Okay, I'll take first shot, Lydia. Sure, I, uh, sure. I, I, 
to me, there's a psychological thing going on as well as a, a as well as structural legalistic sense of justice. Uh, heroes, in in the fairly traditional concepts, of people that are who are willing to go a little further than everybody else to really press and maybe even break the law, but but surely press the idea of justice. But there's still some constraining uh, constraint on their behavior. They're still acting according to, you know, so they, I mean, Thor doesn't go around just uh, demolishing everybody. Even the Hulk holds back. And we're doing the pop cultural characters, right? He doesn't, <laughs> Hulk smash. Yeah, but not entirely, because if he did, people would just be splats on the ground. Uh, there's always this idea of, 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 a, of a constraint of some kind on, on full release of behavior because that's something psychological where we have to be in control of with spider-man with great power comes great responsibility well villains don't necessarily worry about responsibility at least not in the same ways they will they will cast as you say millions of henchmen <laughs> are totally expendable that's okay uh uh there, there's they they don't understand uh, uh, goodness or generosity or 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 justice in a sense of 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 constraint because it doesn't return anything on their investment of of energy. They don't have to answer to the same rules, and sometimes they goad heroes and say, "You know what you really want to be is just like me," but you pretend. To, to answer to other uh, to this other code there's a start uh, Ian you okay. want sure I mean I, I'm going to take this approach this question to, to a couple different directions than what, uh, what what dad was just saying but so for one thing I think that the values that we ascribe to heroes have sort of changed over time so if you look back in like the 1980s the era of Reagan Okay. Um, the whole American, I'm going to go America specific here. The American ethos was all about individualism and about, you know, the power of the individual and, you know, eschewing the sort of, you know, traditional bonds of society that put us together and just saying every man's out for himself, right? So hence you had heroes like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, or you take like Die Hard, you got John McClane versus Hans Gruber and his entire band of terrorists, but it's one man against the world, right? Or Arnold in his movies will usually, you know, in the end of it, he'll end up taking down like 50 people by himself, right? 50 <laughs> villains by himself. So now we tend to, our societies, you know, swung back a little bit in the other direction so that more people, I, you know, at least I hope, but I, I also think that more people see the value of, you know, collective effort and wanting to work together as a team uh, to do something. So hence why you see things like the Avengers or the, you know, the whole D uh, Marvel and DC cinematic universes. Um, you've got these, you know, building teams to take on villains, like you were saying, Joel. Um, I think the other component of this is that from a storytelling perspective, the bigger the threat, the more, the, at least from a nominal point of view, the more interesting or more tense the story would be from a structural standpoint. So when you take Star Wars 19, you know, in the 1970s, the original Star Wars, the Death Star, right? This giant threatening thing that can blow up a planet. You have this team of people that got to take it down. Well, okay, so then fast forward a few decades, you've got Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, now it's not just a thing that can, you know, it's just a moon that can blow up a planet. Now it's a giant, the, the Starkiller base that can blow up an entire solar system. Right? But then not, that's not even enough. So then you go to, you know, um, Star Wars the, the Rise of Skywalker, and you've got a fleet of Star Destroyers, hundreds and hundreds of Star Destroyers that have, each of them, a planet-destroying cannon on it. So you could go, so, you know, it just gets more and more ridiculous. So, I think that you know we tend to try to big up the villain as much as possible so that you know that you've heard that expression the bigger they are the harder they fall so that it's when mm -hmm. the villain when the villain almost inevitably fails at the end of the movie and the heroes defeat them then it's more satisfying if it's now i don't necessarily ascribe to that view but i think that that's what you know just from the structural standpoint that's what's happening there yeah, I think that that's a really good analysis because um, it, it's like Norm and I were talking about last week. Early 
early comic books, right? It was mostly just, you know, you're, you're beating up petty criminals and, and communists, you know, and it's yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. where's really like the, you know, where's the payoff in that? It's like, yeah. oh, okay, you know, all right, you Spider-Man webs up a, a bank robber, yeah. you know, it's not really yeah. fulfilling, but yeah, somebody like Thanos is looking to wipe out half of life in the universe. Yes. It's like, whoa, okay, well now there's big consequences. So yeah, I think that that's, those are good uh, analysis of it. Um, let's shift to the formative a little bit. Who are some of the earliest villains in in human stories? Satan. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the King of Troy, uh, Grendel, and Grendel's mother. Uh, <laughs> um, Gilgamesh is interesting because Gilgamesh gets so full of himself that everybody yeah. fears him, and so he becomes... Yeah the anti-hero until he has a balance. His, uh, uh, Enkidu is created as a balance uh, to Gilgamesh. Um, those would be my toss-outs on that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll defer to you on that because you're more, of the, you're more of the expert in that general area. So, do you think that villains originally were primarily created to... Um, reinforce tribalism or to teach morality or just to move along plots of entertaining stories and for early people what do you why do you think villains were created as a plot device and the reason that i ask it that way is because we talked about last week how the term heroes overused right we we uh, ascribe hero status to a lot of different people we don't really do the same thing with villains right um there's (laughs) There's certain people that you would that you describe as villains, and you you get very little pushback from people. Um, but it's not like you walk around calling your uh, you know your uh, typical fast food worker that that messed up your order a villain, right? <laughs> we don't do that. So, <laughs> why do you think in early early human stories? Why do you? What was the purpose of introducing um, a villain? Well, okay, so I, I'm going to take something that Ian just said about, uh, you know, the uh, the shift of individualism from the 80s, the pop culture, and I, but take that back to the ancient. Uh, argu- I think arguably uh, villains were, among other things, uh, about uh, self-preservation, uh, about uh, individuality. <laughs> Uh, and about power too, but 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 Satan uh, in Paradise Lost, Satan is 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 challenging God, but but Satan uh, also, but part of that challenge is that he he wants free will, <laughs> and 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 it, you know it's much more complicated than that, but that's the essence of it. it's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven if there's this he says there's this individuality to preserve the individual self i think that just zips right up into current you know loki and and the avengers kind of thing it's always about preserving oneself no matter what and and that that's why that team approach you talked about um is different well is it and and uh gilgamesh um is about showing how important and vibrant and powerful he is and builds his grand city and everybody's supposed to worship his his, his oiled muscular self and he he gets to even he even pushes his uh, rights to even have um, uh, the first evening with a young wife for himself as king before husband now, there's all kinds of misogyny and everything in there too but 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 the point is that he has overstepped so much about individuality and what he gets to have that then the universe uh, upon human petition essentially creates this this better self to balance him out um i think that's what's going to get uh, beowulf is a rogue beowulf is a hero for hire who comes in with 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 when teams armies of uh, cultures cultural structures rothgar and, and his his hall they can't handle the monster so you bring in the the heroic uh, individual who is not which look right at it and how he does his killing and how and how he feels about it afterwards uh, and taking the rewards and so on um, 
he go he goes off the path too. So there's a strange, uh, really interesting uh, dynamic of individuality versus uh, collective. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's kind of. What do you do? You think it's a sort of a combination of those three? Then do you think that villains are created to, um, kind of develop some sort of uh, sense of community against a uh, a threat, or to teach good versus bad, or to just just create stories that are entertaining? What What do you think that? Why do you think that they developed the way they did? Ian, you hop in. I mean, I I think that. Uh... I think it's probably context sensitive, right? So it depends on the story that we're talking about or the place and time that we're talking about. I think another aspect of it too, that goes a little unmentioned is, um, and maybe this is why we see. So if you, if you go, if I keep returning to star Wars, cause it's just a culturally, you know, um, really pervasive sort of mythos right now, but you go to a, a toy store and you'll find a Star Wars toy, you know, seven times out of ten, eight times out of ten, the, the face on the box is Darth Vader, right? So I think that going back to, going back to, um, and now this is purely speculative, but like going back to where villains came from, I think that humans, in, in a lot of stories, there's an element of fantasy, right? And so sometimes maybe we want to see ourselves doing the doing the stuff that we're not supposed to do you know tre- treading outside our norms you know trying to break the rules in order to like like uh like norm was saying to pursue the individual individualism but i think that there's that element of release too so like you know if we think about like how kids develop through play sometimes you have to play the other role in order to and maybe this ties into what you're saying in terms of teaching morality but um to learn what it's like to do that sort of thing or to just fantasize, you know, in a healthy way about what, what it would be like to be the bad guy, quote unquote. So I think that that's another piece of the puzzle that, that maybe goes overlooked sometimes. But yeah, I think of the three things that you mentioned, Joel, that it sort of is probably dependent on the time and place, you know, a story that has a villain um, like Satan, you know, uh, from paradise lost is very, a religiously contextual sort of story where um beowulf may not be quite as much so it just depends i think yeah that's um i think that's really good and this brings me back to um an episode that norm and i did on play right and we we dove into that and we were discussing well what is the purpose of play why did why is play important why do children do it and basically the conclusion that we came to which is backed up by a lot of science, not just philosophy, is that um, people, not just children, but people in general, need a safe place to Mm -hmm. sort of play out scenarios and simulate Mm -hmm. alternate Mm -hmm. realities. And in doing that, it can save you from making mistakes that could end up being life-threatening or, you know, societally um, catastrophic. So, um... Yeah, I think that that's that was a good explanation, and I think that that probably does explain a lot of the uh, literary um, devices that were employed with villains. And I think you're right too. You know, you look at early villains, and a lot of them do originate from religious stories, and those are obviously going to be moral uh, yeah. teachings and morality. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So I think that, I mean, that, so you, you like like you? I played Skyrim, right? You know, and I don't yeah. know if you've ever yep. heard of Skyrim, yeah, but it's a yeah, big, I played Skyrim. Yeah, fantastic. So, you know, I accidentally killed a whole village of people, right? Sort of by accident. I would never do that in real life, obviously. <laughs> I would never even dream of it. But, you know, in this RPG, I'm this lizard conqueror king who just wanders around the countryside doing what I want. So I'm pretty much a villain in my own story there. Um, and so even though I'm nominally the hero of the story because you're kind of forced to be by the game at some point. But um, that freedom to play, I think, is is one thing that definitely ties into what we're talking about. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Skyrim is sort of funny, too, because just in terms of character choice, I'm assuming you were an Argonian. Yes, and, um, yes. And an Argonian is kind of one of the best character models you can play because you can breathe underwater, you're resistant to diseases and and, and all this different stuff. So it has a lot of perks that make it superior to other characters. 
But what they find, um, especially, I can't remember what game it was that just came out, but um, I think it was Baldur's Gate. Um, they found that people, you could become all of these different races of characters. Some people were just choosing to be normal people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that says something about the stories we tell and the villains we choose. Um, you know, lots of times it's real easy to see the heroes as being similar to you and to create villains that are monstrous. Um, despite whatever powers they may have or whatever thing. And then, you know, you think about how that plays into cultural narratives, um, you know, in terms of, um, racism or, uh, you know, xenophobia and these sorts of things. Right. Or you take like Disney. Okay. And the way Disney animates their villains, um, you know, Ursula and the little mermaid. She's this, you know, she's overweight and she has, you know, overly done makeup on her face and she's got like boyish short hair, sort of. And so that plays into, like you were saying, misogynistic narratives, you know, fat phobia, um, you know, even homophobia in a way you could, a lot of people view Ursula as kind of like a drag queen type character. Um, so I think that like, like you're just saying, yeah, we ascribe some of those negative cultural, the way that we, you know, the, the, our societal biases and our prejudices and, you know, the, all the isms that we have in our society get projected onto our villains, unfortunately. Well, yeah. I think we've got a Nietzschean thing going on, too. I, I I think we have reached an age in our storytelling that Nietzsche would have been proud of us about. Uh, in in the sense that when he wrote uh, Beyond Good and Evil, uh, as it's translated in English, I haven't read it in the original German, uh, he, he, he's, he's, he critiqued philosophers uh, of pastimes for 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 just supporting, adhering to this dogma of, of good and evil. And he just excoriated the idea of simple black and white dichotomies and, and so uh, so and, and, and treating evil and good as opposites. And so uh, he's, he, you know, good his morality for him was based in part at least on what gives people joy and, and, and developing much more complicated notions of, of moral systems and and so he would be saying now with something like Watchmen in the 80s or or even something like The Boys which we've referenced a couple of times I, I have um, where this the superheroes are not super heroic in fact quite the opposite they're really anti-heroes they're corporate uh, corporate uh, tools except that some of them finally find a spine and find their own sense of morality and, and get back to it. Um, but we've got a lot more of that investigation of stories going on now than ever happened when I was a kid. Uh, and I think, I think that that's actually very useful because if we, if we see heroes crossing lines and we say, wait a minute, that was too far, or we see villains saying things like, uh, you know, Ian and I talked about this before with Thanos, the, the thing about Thanos is there's some element of what he's doing, and, and Ian has pointed this out to me a number of times, but the, um, that while we don't accept it as, yeah, this is this is best practice, he seems to be adhering to his own larger sense of what is good for the universe. Right. And and so that you we didn't have that going on in the 60s. Yeah, there's... Um there's a band that I really like Queens of the stone age and they have a song um, called villains of circumstance, which is a play on words from victims of circumstance. circumstance yeah. So villains of circumstance. But I mean, you think about that and then you try to think about, well, can a villain exist in real life or only in an anti villain? Right. Mm-hmm. So you think about some of the, the terrible characters in, in history. Um, what do you think? Do you think that, villains really exist you know and you can use your your kind of typical examples of of hitler or you know henry the eighth or whoever you whoever you want you can you can think of people that would be described as villains but villains of circumstance what that says is there's something outside of the people's control that's causing them to act the way that they do hmm. um so like a nature psychology. versus nurture right right yeah so what do you think um can can a villain exist in real life, or is it a narrative um, trope? 
I tend to believe that yes, they yes they can, um, and I can think of some contemporary examples too that I won't name here because I don't want to get too much into it. But um, I actually, yeah, no, I absolutely do believe, and I think that while I tend to fall, I do think that there's an element of both nature and nurture that goes into making someone. So you are shaped by the circumstances into which you're born, good, bad, or or you know, or indifferent. Um, but there's also something at the core of every person that, you know, influences who you develop to be as a, as a person. And I think that if you take someone like, if you want to go to like to Hitler or to Stalin or to any of these, you know, um, typical examples of who we might consider to be a villain, I don't know how you could argue that they are anything but I, uh, I'm sure you can. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, accomplished philosophers like, um, like Norman, like you could do that. But for me, I just think that, yeah, absolutely. You could, you could call some people villains and, and that's who they are. And I don't think that everybody deserves redemption. Right. Yeah. So Norm, you and I talked about this yeah. um, in reverse last week with heroes, right? I was so we were, just thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were saying that we created a, a hypothetical scenario where we said, let's say that me as an individual with no help from anybody else, saves all of humanity from an alien species wiping us out, right? Mm. It's about mm -hmm. the most heroic thing you can think of. Right. But let's say my entire life up to that moment was completely despicable. Just com it, no, by anybody's measure was terrible. Right. Um, does that one act at the end make me a hero? Or can you only do something heroic but never actually be a hero? So you can, this mm -hmm. is one of the questions that we can ask in reverse, right? Let's say you're right. an upstanding citizen, you're a great person or whatever, and then you did something that was terrible. Does that yeah. make you a villain or does it mean you just did something villainous? <laughs> this is an excellent question because it, 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 it makes us think of the, the totality of which is not a completeness of, of our of our life, what it is that we have that we have done. Um, you know, sacred texts of, of 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 large religions would suggest that the, the the worst of the worst can be redeemed and thus must be uh, if they follow a path, thus uh, that that the previous activity if, if if not nullified is is in the past of the person it's only in the current circumstance of what the person does that ultimately counts i, I know that's simplistic but it's sort of what, what we're told and then and then we and we put that up against our own our own stuff so you see i was thinking about last week because of exactly what you just described and so if you were if a character is despicable despicable me if the character is despicable for an almost an entire life but just has that one moment of oh i, I salvaged humanity um one is tempted to say yeah but why did you do that to save your own butt or, <laughs> or because mm -hmm. it, it's, it's because some somehow you woke up to things and i and, and to me philosophically that's where the the idea of beyond good and evil goes it's 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 the motivations, <laughs> why one is undertaking these acts that makes them heroic or villainous. Uh, but there, but I, 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 I'm with Ian on this. I, there are, I, I think there are people who, show, whether they stumble into it and just kept going, whether they lost their path entirely, whether they, they had no guidance, but end up for an entire lifetime uh, doing uniformly or almost uniformly awful things um that's what i would consider a, a villain with a capital b so there's a story by one of my favorite authors called C well stephen king is this is the author and um i can't remember what the story is called now it's a short story from a recent collection of his called full dark no stars is it and bad in boy no no i don't remember what the okay. name of it is okay but in in this story you have this uh, husband and wife, and they've had a family, and the husband is a 
by all accounts, a wonderful father, helped raise the children, helped teach them to, to, get, to get them to college, is there for people. He acts as an upstanding citizen in the community. He's, you know, what we would consider a really good person. And then he goes on a business trip. And his wife is looking for something uh, in the, I can't remember, was it in the basement or the attic or whatever. And she stumbles across this, this box that's hidden under his tool bench. And in it, she finds all these driver's licenses of young women from over the course of probably a decade. And she has to ask herself, has my, and then she goes back and says, has he been on these business trips, basically been a serial killer? got out and kidnapped and you know done horrible things to these people and then and saved these licenses as a trophy and it, you know so it's it's revealed eventually that yes indeed that is what he has been doing and so then she has to decide am i going to report him am i going to stay with him what's going to happen with this whole situation so i think that goes to kind of one of those conundrums this person who has done horrible evil things and yet at the same time, has been like a good father or good quote unquote father or husband or what, or, you know, all those things. I don't know. So obviously I would consider that person to be a villain because they're doing horrible things and irredeemable things. But it goes to that question of, of what you posed, Joel, which is, you know, people doing these up uh, being an upstanding citizen and then doing something horrible and where that places them on the spectrum. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's so many paradigms that you can look at it through. And, and we've talked on the show before about morality, ethics, utilitarianism. And it really depends on where you look at it from, on where you land. You know, is can good acts cover up evil acts? Or is it, are you weighing it on a scale? Or are you looking at just the intentions? Or are you looking at just the results? Um, and it's not, it's probably not a question we'll ever really be able to, to answer, but it sure is an interesting one to think yeah. about. So, all right, I'm going to circle back to the end and ask you guys again, um, <laughs> who, are, who are the villains that you love to hate and the ones that you hate to love? I don't know who wants to start. <laughs> I'll throw that to you, dad, first. Oh, okay. Uh, the villain that... I hate to love one. I'm just going to say one. This is not the penultimate. Um, is is Hannibal Lecter, yeah. who frightens me still. I I I, I watched the, the the movies. I did not watch the TV show, but I read the novels, and the novels scared me more than the movies ever could, uh, because of the very kind of thing that you were just describing, Ian. Of a, here's, here's somebody who has all the social graces. He's brilliant. He 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 knows so much, and yet he eats people. But he 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 does aid in finding other uh, people. But he has a motive for that too. So he's a, he. I hate to love the fact of Hannibal Lecter, and I think probably. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, the, <laughs> there's so many villains I love to hate. For heaven's sake, yeah. you, you love to hate the Joker. I mean, I, I can't, I can't help but that. When I was much younger, I certainly loved to hate Darth Vader. Uh, um, in the current uh, paradigm of, of, of television iterations of such things, there's a character in the boys, the, the main, the worst. Of this, of the so-called superheroes, um, who's called Homelander, and Homelander is is the most despicable, awful creature that that you can possibly imagine. So of course you, uh, it's it's just you have to love to hate it. Uh, <laughs> All right, Ian, who do you got? Oh boy, this is really difficult because, like I said at the beginning of the show, villains are like my favorite. So. I always gravitate to the villain. And if the villain's good, I tend to love the story. And if the villain's mediocre, I tend to think the story is mediocre. Um, okay, so the villain that I um, hate to love, I'd say would be a character called Sephiroth. And Sephiroth is a character that originally came from a game uh, called Final Fantasy VII. And he now has he's showed up in many different RPGs and stuff over the course of the decade. And he uh, just recently made his appearance in the latest Super Smash Brothers game on the Nintendo Switch. But Sephiroth is a um, he's essentially a mercenary, 
but he was born out of a really awful experiment that spliced his genes with a an alien presence on this planet. And so he didn't choose to be the way that he is, but he basically goes insane and tries to become a god and summons a meteor to destroy the planet that he is that he's on. And so I think that he has some really interesting motivations and although I he does many despicable things, he's somebody who, you know, I it's still as easy to identify with why he chooses to do the things that he does. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum, the villain that I, let's see, was it, um, love to hate. Okay. So that would have to be for me. That had to be Emperor Palpatine from star Wars because he's just so there's no nuance to Emperor Palpatine. He's bad, 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 bad. <laughs> and there's really, you know, at least that's the way he's presented in the films. He's just there to be the evil dude, the satanic presence who loves to cackle and cause, vil- you know, mayhem. And he just hates the Jedi. And that's what he's about. He hates the Jedi and he wants to be the ruler of everything. And so I think that he's a really effective villain for that. And that's why he's essentially you know i would argue the the main villain of the entire franchise of star wars because he's the villain he's the ultimate bad presence in the original trilogy he's the ultimate bad presence in the um prequel trilogy and i don't think he was planned to be the ultimate bad presence in the sequel trilogy but that's what he became when jj abrams decided to bring him back surreptitiously at the end there for the last movie so for me i think that yeah palpatine would have to be the one that i that i love to hate the most how about you joel (laughs) um yeah i think the one that i love the one that i i hate to love would be james moriarty from, uh, uh, from Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, for, yeah. for the same reasons, um, a lot of the same reasons you like Hannibal Lecter, um, and also because he is compelling. He's very, um, you know, he's very. Uh, there's a lot of competition. You know, you you're always on edge when he's around Sherlock because you think that man, maybe he, maybe he's going to outsmart him. You know, you don't, you don't know. Um, and as far as ones that I, I love to hate, um, it. I've never had a stronger reaction to any villain than probably um, King Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, he's oh. a stinker. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's awful. Um, all right, but yeah, this was this was great. Hey, and I really appreciate you coming on. Um, well, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I hope to have some you know, guests in the future. Maybe you again if you if you have any sure. other uh, topics that that stick out to you. Fantastic. Um, but until next time, keep hungry.